May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning's readings are all about grace. Divine love freely offered to us and to the world, not because of anything we are or aren't, but simply because of who God is as our loving creator who loves to give his children good gifts. Oh, how we need a measure of God's grace this morning as global pandemic and social unrest continue to, in so many ways, rock our world. I was tempted more than once as I was crafting this sermon to bypass the first reading in Genesis and the continued saga of our religious origin stories. But again and again, my heart was drawn to these words of God to Rebecca. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. Gosh, that feels a lot like where we are in this moment, doesn't it? As the polarizing effects of politics and pandemic persist, in the wake of the loss of human life, widespread confusion, chaos, and injustices on full display, it can almost feel like an apocalypse at times, or maybe indeed just a really difficult pregnancy. Inasmuch as an apocalypse in the biblical sense is simply an unveiling, a reorientation, a reordering of the world as we know it, I suppose pregnancy provides an apt metaphor. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. From the place of monuments to masks, we are in so many ways in this moment a people embattled with ourselves. Even typically united communities seem to have a hard time finding common ground these days. You know, I studied music education in college, and it has been entertaining, fascinating at best, and utterly disheartening at worst to watch colleagues and acquaintances bicker about, can we even sing together in public? Two nations in your womb, two peoples divided. According to the ancient Jewish tradition, Rebecca was extremely uncomfortable in her pregnancy and would inquire of God why she was suffering. It's said that whenever she passed a house of Torah, a house of righteousness, that the baby Jacob would leap in her womb. But whenever she would pass a house of idolatry, Esau would leap in her womb. Jacob, Esau, good wolf, bad wolf. <laughs> How quick we are to categorize in such terms. But as the narrative plays out, the delineation between good son and bad son is not so forthright. In the end, Rebecca and her favorite son, Jacob, would attain for Jacob the family birthright, recognition as the firstborn and authority over the family, the nation as it was. They would attain for him the birthright through trickery, 
and deception. In today's story, Esau chooses the instant gratification of warm, homemade soup over the honor of the birthright. Years later, Rebecca and Jacob would trick their patriarch Isaac himself by taking advantage of the poor old man's deteriorating vision and disguising Jacob as Esau. In turn, Isaac personally and irreversibly turns over the birthright to that second-born son, thinking he was Esau. Jacob, the wrestler who came out of the womb, tugging at his brother's heel out of selfish ambition, would later wrestle God himself and go on to be renamed Israel, to be the leader of the people, Israel. There is much to be mine from this story, which never quite wraps up in a bow. Not unlike some of our familial stripes, the brothers never truly, deeply reconcile this side of the grave. Ultimately, this whole episode tells of a God of grace beyond our understanding, who still works and moves amidst and despite the messes we make, not even deterred by our unresolved issues. By every social and societal convention of the time, Esau had absolute claim and privilege to the birthright as the firstborn. And yet, in this instance, God would, for whatever reason, we don't know, but God would choose Jacob, the cunning and sometimes deceitful mischief-maker, to lead God's people. God chooses the second son. This story tells of a God who disrupts, upends, and subverts our expectations to make grace known. These stories of grace towards the seemingly undeserving in the eyes of the world complicate our desire for individual justice and meritocracy. It complicates our proclivity to categorize people as us and them, good and bad, righteous, unrighteous, our team, their team. But perhaps before we too easily react to this Rebecca moment by identifying our team with Jacob and our rivals with Esau, we would do well to acknowledge that perhaps a little bit of Jacob and a little bit of Esau lives in each of us. And that furthermore, more importantly, they are each more than the caricature of themselves to begin with, just as each beloved child of God is far more than a caricature. Speaking of expectations upended, in the gospel reading today, Jesus has been preaching throughout the region of Galilee, speaking the word of a kingdom not of this world, casting a divine and prophetic vision of valleys exalted and mountains brought low, a realm rich with blessings not for the wealthy but for the poor, not for the strong but for the meek, not for the powerful but for the persecuted. Jesus' message is embraced by some but spurned by others. 
at the end of this very chapter, Jesus is rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. And so today, Jesus offers an explanation of why the word of this kingdom takes root among some, but not among others. In the parable of the sower, also known as the parable of the four soils, the parable of the miraculous yields. It's a pretty straightforward metaphor. The word of this kingdom of God is the seed, and the four types of lesser and more fertile soils represent varying degrees of reception for this word. While our engagement with this story could easily focus solely on figuring out how to make sure that we're in the right category, how to make sure we're the good soil, let us not miss the bigger picture. The fact that Jesus speaks of soil to begin with. In using the metaphor of soil, I believe that Jesus is speaking not primarily to singular Christians, but to whole communities. Jesus is focused not only on individuals, but environments. I'm no master gardener. I at times struggle to grow even house plants in my apartment. But think about it. The most basic unit of soil, whatever that is, a small speck, a small clump, is really neither good nor bad. If you just took a small clump of soil, it's really pretty useless. It's hard to grow much of anything in a tiny clump. No. Nutrients from dead and composting plants, moisture, earthworms, oxygen, microbes, you need all these things to constitute soil. None of us can really constitute good soil or bad soil on our own. Contrary to the hyper-individualized version of Christianity in the West, the word of the kingdom can only truly take root in communities, because ultimately, the kingdom of God is a reordered, reimagined, reformed community where all the people of God may find flourishing as we love God and neighbor together. Jesus, in the parable of the four soils, is speaking not just to individuals, but to environments. It's not just about identifying the good guys and the bad guys. It's about cultivating environments of good soil. You know, as I read this parable, I am really glad that God, the sower, is not in charge of opening back up the economy because this God is a pretty reckless sower. This God would be a pretty terrible businessman. To say this, that the sower in the story is lavish would be an understatement as he throws seed willy-nilly to and fro without regard for good soil or bad soil. This sower is utterly spendthrift, reckless, dare I say wasteful with the scattered seed. This sower inhabits a posture of total abandon, abundance, extravagance. And 
I would say, sheer hope. Surely seeing the barren land, the dry land, the rocky soil, this sower offers it to its fate anyhow. It's almost as if despite seeing the sterility, the barrenness, the dryness, this sower gives even the bad soil a chance. It's almost as if this sower believes the word of the kingdom can take root just about anywhere. Through good soil and bad soil, Esau and Jacob alike, such is the kingdom of God, which again and again surprises our sensibilities and upends our expectations. This is God's grace at work. Saints of God, I believe that the kingdom of God is yearning to take root even now in you and me, even in this Rebecca moment we find ourselves in. Perhaps more than an apocalypse, this is a pregnancy as God prepares to do a new thing, to bring about new life in our midst. As we consider what it means to be good and hospitable soil, in this dual pandemic of COVID-19, alongside the continued degradation of black bodies beloved of God, I believe that a focus on environments alongside individuals might just be the key to this kingdom of God taking root. It's not just about me and you identifying the good guys and the bad guys. It's about all of us together. Of course, we may not be overtly racist, but we can acknowledge that we inhabit a society that has been influenced by the evils of racism. We may not be ourselves highly at risk for complications from the coronavirus, but we can live, work, and play around those who are. It's about cultivating an environment of good soil where all may flourish, where all may find safety, and security in our midst. Yeast, salt, light, a speck of dirt, a drop in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Such are the materials of God's ever-widening kingdom. Such are the people of God called to be. Imperfect, complex, sometimes try and broken as we are. We are just small actors in the unfolding reign of God breaking into a world pregnant with divine grace. As we go about the days and weeks and months ahead, may we too listen, yield, and bear the fruit of the kingdom of God.